the word sacrifice is in this verse deliberately by the Holy Spirit. When the writer of the scripture and the one who penned this verse said, Therefore by him, meaning God, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. We know that words have meanings and so we're careful in using them. Sometimes we know they have meaning and we may not be as careful. But it's not an accident that sacrifice is mentioned in reference to how we should praise the Lord. In Webster's Dictionary, here's one definition of the word sacrifice. Now everything I want to say to you will not be on the screen and especially that is so good that you bring the word with you. But here's a definition for sacrifice. Destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. Let me eliminate the word destruction and the rest of it fits the definition for the way sacrifice is used in this text. Again, sacrifice is surrender of something for the sake of something else. Sometimes that surrender of something, sacrifice, is only momentary for the larger picture. If you're taking notes and you, 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 you want the additional insights to what this word sacrifice would mean, it would mean to give up. That is all for the sacrifice of praise. Give up. It implies costing something. I may know what I'm talking about. Costing something. You, you, some of you have sacrificed for your children. Sacrifice for them to get through college. Sacrifice for them to have a, something that they would like. You've had one job, two jobs. You sacrifice to have a roof over their head, to help them buy a car. It costs you something. The word sacrifice also means that you pay the price, it costs you something at times when you don't even feel like doing it. Give me a witness. And I'll touch on that a little bit more later here, but, but I'm thinking of a better way to uh, give you this comparison because of the recent World Series having been completed, of which my team lost. Yes. Had a long day on Thursday, came back in from Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, so I really needed to rest. But it was the sixth game of the World Series. Donnell, my team was ahead of the, in other words, if they win the sixth game, they wouldn't be a seventh. A team being Texas Rangers. The other team, the name I'd rather forget. <laughs> Twice, Pastor Jeff, in the, the, the Rangers in the sixth game had the lead. They had two men out. The ninth inning. And they had one strike left to win the thing. In, in, in the ninth and the tenth inning, they had one strike left. But the Cardinal, the other team, uh, they came back. One strike, two batters, uh, and tied it up. And in the eleventh inning, won it. 
It was 15 to 1 when I gave up my sacrifice in the morning. Mad. Not too bad, mad. Uh, so in baseball, they have this thing called a sacrifice fly. Huh? You know that I'm not athletic. You, could tell, you can't tell by my physique that I'm not athletic. But uh, that means that for the sake of the team, though I am capable of getting a single or a double or a triple or maybe my own home run, the game is so close. You got a man on first or a man on second, so I'll, I'll try to hit a sacrifice fly way out there in center field or right or left field and, and, uh, and give enough time for the person on that base to tag after the ball is caught and run so we can get advanced to run. Am I right about that, baseball? Oh, oh there's a bunt, right? Right? You know what? what you bunt the ball, you got, a, you got a hitter coming up. And you know that that person is capable of home run or capable of, of creating their own name and becoming the own MVP of the whole series. But no, his coach says, I, I want you to give up that potential you have. Of a home run, and I want you to advance the runner. So you bump the ball. They throw you out at first, but the guy gets over the second. Sacrifice. For the, for the sake, for the outcome, for the well-being. But for a moment, we're going to give up your ego. Because if, if you give it up in, in this one particular time at bat, we could win the entire series. And you're going to get a lot more if we all win as a group than if we lose. Ask Texas. Anyhow, <laughs> Sacrifice. Dave Ramsey uses it this way. Dave Ramsey says about financial sacrifice. And I love Dave Ramsey's stuff about finances. You live like no one else now, so you can live like no one else later. Dave Ramsey says, you, you would like to have that 52-inch screen TV. But you have credit card debt, you have house payment, you have car payment, you have other kinds of things that, that, that you need to be able to extinguish. So, instead of buying the 52-inch TV, go to the yard sale and get you something that you can get something with. And then let it hang on to it till you save up some money get out of debt. You'd like to have the 2012 Escalade. But right now, all you can afford is the Beverly Hills Crampets uh, automobile that you used to... You remember that one that yeah, Jethro used to drive? Live like nobody else now. Swallow your pride. You can't go out and eat every day. And some days it's going to be beans and potatoes. And the next day it's going to be potatoes and beans. <laughs> Mix it up. Some day you fry your egg. The other day you boil your egg. The other day you poach your egg. Mix it up. Get a little variety. But you live like nobody else right now. So once those bills are paid and, uh, and, and you get out of debt, you don't want everybody you see, you can go out and get your variety. You can go out and buy the TV. Bless God if you give to God, honor God. You could probably buy the whole store if you live with some sacrifice. That ain't even my sermon. That's just the introduction. I've seen people sacrifice for their, uh, their, their small business. Or sacrifice. I've seen people give a, a, an organ, like a kidney, to somebody who needs a, a chance. Uh, with the risk of knowing that they themselves might even need both kidneys. Sacrifice so somebody else can get blessed. Can I get an amen? And, and I say all that to tell you, there is, there is this thing of a weapon called praise that the devil do, don't want you to use. 
He doesn't want you to know about his power, his potential, his productiveness. The, the, the thing about praise is so powerful that it does more than you would realize in the natural because it, it also involves the realm of spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. Can I get an amen? And, and what the devil wants you and I to be... Uh, uh, remiss of or to be forgetful of is the things, the weapons that God gives us so we can have healing for our bodies, help for our marriages, soundness of mind, financial blessing, anointing for our ministry and our goals and visions as a businessman or businesswoman or a college student or whatever. What dreams and visions we have in our heart, God has given resources and weapons including the power of praise that the devil doesn't want you to use. And so while it won't be on the screen, you need to know that praise is a weapon. And it's a weapon that works in the natural and in the heavenlies. And, and I say that to you because I have come to understand, wow, uh, how it works as a weapon. And I, I won't get through all of this, but I remember some years ago reading an account of David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson is the founder was the founder, he's passed on now this year, a mighty man of God, but was the founder of Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge is a drug rehab, drug and other habit-forming uh, uh, substances that are destructive that people get into. That Teen Challenge is a, is a housing and a discipline and an instructional kind of setting where people can go for a length of time to be in the right environment, to be in the right context of scripture and disciplines and work, etc. to get them back on the right road. That's been going on for years and years and he was the founder of it. And much of it was birthed when God sent David Wilkerson from Texas as a rural country preacher to the heart of New York City among the gangs and uh, wayward youth back in the 60s. And on one occasion, it's written in the book Destined for the Throne, it tells of David Wilkerson going to minister in the early days among the gangs in New York City and he encountered a group of boys at a street corner. He was on his way to have a street meeting or have another meeting so he could get the feel of what God had sent him to New York City for because these gangs were especially violent and had all kinds of other problems with the law, etc. And so he came to a part of a street intersection and he noticed as he approached that intersection where these boys were that they were positioning themselves to come at him. He felt that they were going to try something because he was alone and, and maybe they would steal his money. Maybe they, you know, in the gang setting of yesteryear and even now, some of the gang, potential gang members had to go through certain initiations, including even attacking or assaulting people, as terrible as that is, to earn their right to be in a gang. And that might have been the context. And they were coming to David Wilkerson and as they were approaching him, he said something rise up in his spirit and he looked to God for guidance, breathed a prayer, and an instant as they were poised to strike him, David Wilkerson suddenly clapped his hand and shouted, Praise the Lord! To the top of his voice. According to the account, the entire gang broke up ranks and fled. They fled in every direction. And perhaps there is the only plausible explanation for their action is that these boys were activated by evil spirits to come after the man of God and try to destroy his vision and the calling of God that God gave him among them. 
and, and yet by the working of the power of God and the obedience of David Wilkerson, when it seemed foolish, he didn't have a knife, he didn't have a gun, he didn't have a traveling partner to help him fight him off. All he did was obey the Lord, and when it seemed foolish to praise God, he clapped his hand, shouted, praise the Lord, because it's amazing what the power of praising God can do to evil spirits and other kind of spirits. Come on and praise the Lord. Praise is a weapon. And, and I remember another occasion reading an account of an evangelist some many years ago who went to preach in a place uh, called Holton Ripley County, Indiana. He went to have some revival meetings and uh, he went out in the daytime before the evening service in a pasture where he would want to spend some time in prayer with God, take his Bible, meditate to get ready for the service, wait on God. And it's a true account. While he was in the pasture, he became aware of a bull in the pasture that he wasn't aware of beforehand, and maybe it wasn't visible, that was making its way to him. The immediacy of his seeing the bull and the closeness and the proximity of the animal to him let him know that he couldn't outrun the animal and he wasn't strong enough to defend himself. And it seemed like out of nowhere, he got this inspiration. And the inspiration said, shout at the animal, praise the Lord. I'm telling you, brothers. <laughs> yeah, if I can't outrun and, and, and that thing is coming, I, I'm going to use it. Uh, I, I'm going to use whatever it is. I, you know what they say, play dead, whatever kind of stuff. And it, seemed, it may seem foolish. But he said he just obeyed the Lord because it's amazing what praising can do. Praising can suppress the evil spirits that can come against you in the form of other people, in the form of satanic attacks, even in the form of what the devil would do to try to curb a revival and, 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 and injure the man of God through an, another animal. And as he began to praise God... To his amazement, the animal turned around and took off the other way. Never bothered him. He hadn't had to leave the pasture. He didn't have to interrupt his study and his prayer and meditation. And God brought revival because it's amazing what praising God would do. The Bible says what may seem like foolishness to those who are not spiritual. If God tells you to do it, it is the wisdom of God. Obey God anyhow. Help me praise him here, somebody. I have some thoughts I want to build on very quickly. Praise takes the focus off of self. That's why it's so powerful. Here's, here's part of our problem today, and I say our because I'm, in part of, I'm part of the, the circle of the problem. Our problem is that we are consumed by our problem. Did I hear an amen? But listen to this now. You are here in worship. You know what I've learned about worship, and I'm learning more? The worship and praise of God demands that we shift the center of attention from ourselves to God. He is the object of our worship. Not the choir, not the pastor, not our favorite song, our favorite seat. The object of our worship is not somebody beside us. It's God, God, God. We come to church to worship God. Whether we feel good or not, whether we look our best or not, God is the center of our attention. And I say that sometimes it takes a sacrifice to do that worship. A person cannot praise God without totally moving the focus from self to God. You see, self wants us to focus on our pain. Self wants us to focus on our hardships. Self would have us focus on the injustices that others have manifested against us. 
When we focus on ourselves, get this now, when we focus on ourselves, we see our limitations. I'm never going to pay my way out of this debt. I'm never going to get out of this sickness I'm in. I'm ne- uh, my family, I guess there's always going to be drugs, alcohol, promiscuity. Uh, and we focus on the problems in our families and we see our limitations. Uh, how I can't, I can't, I'll never. But when we focus on God, it's like David and the people of God who were fighting against Goliath in the Old Testament. And I'll remind you that when David came to the camp of the Israelites to check on the well-being of his brothers per the instruction of his father, after the camp and the Israelites had been 40 days under the threat of Goliath and the Philistines, when David came into the camp, he noticed the men and was told also that they get up in the morning and they get ready and they put on all their armor for battle only to go out at the edge of the cliff and the mountain that overlooks the valley and on the next mountain top is Goliath. And when these Israelites with all their military gear hear the deep voice of Goliath threatening them and they realize he's nine feet tall, and they realize his armor alone probably weighs more than David weighs as a young man, they begin to be afraid, and they run back in their tents. Because every day they come out and they see how big the giant is and how loud he is. And when they see how big the giant is and how loud he is, they see their limitations. But David shows up in the camp one day and he begins to praise God. After he hears the threat of Goliath. Somebody here help me. Goliath says to David when he finds out David's coming after him as the warrior of Israel, as just a youthful lad, he says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the field are going to gnaw on your bone. And David said, I have you to know. And he told Saul beforehand who sent him out, when I was with my sheep, my father's sheep, and a wild animal came after my flock, the power of God came on me and with my bare hands, I took from the mouth of a lion one of my lambs and killed a lion. Another time I'm a bear came after my, my, my flock and the power of God came over me a little old lad in your eyes and I stripped the bear's mouth open killed the animal and saved my lamb I don't come to you with sword and shield and a spear but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel you might be big but my God is bigger you may see the giant but I see how big God is And when you get your eyes on how big God is, your problems will diminish. Somebody help me. Praise the Lord. Everybody say, my God is bigger. Oh, get you. Hallelujah to Jesus. You got to get yourself out of the way. Because when you focus on self, you see the impossibilities. But when you focus on God, you see the possibilities. When you focus on self, you see despair. (laughs) Despair makes me to remind myself of the theme song of the old television show known as Hee Haw. That's the days of good television. When comedy was clean. (laughs) Their theme song about once every show they would sing, Gloom, despair, agony on me. 
deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Some of you are humming along because you just like me, you sang it before. You know why nobody don't come to our pity parties? I've been wondering why nobody comes to my pity party. I've called them on my phone and found out they're having one of their own that they wanted me to come. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. You know, when you focus on yourself, that's what you'll see is. You don't want me to sing, Sister, Sister Bay? <laughs> I love you, I love you. I just teased you. Sister Early, you say, stick with your gift, son. <laughs> I'm trying out new gifts, sister. Hey, but you, you, despair. Oh, my God. That's what limitations, looking at self gets. But when you look at God, you begin to see deliverance. When we look at our limitations, we feel stress. Our stomach's tied up in knots. Our brain is running. We, our head's laid on the pillow, but we can't go to sleep. Stress! But when we focus on God, we feel the strength. Because when we praise the Lord, I said it earlier, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Can I get a witness? Here's where the strength comes from. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like what John said. John the Baptist says about Jesus and praising him. He said about Jesus, he must increase. John 3 and 30. But I must decrease. And if you take up that motto when life throws its problems, its storms, its harassment, its uncertainties at you and say, God, I want there to be less of me and I want there to be more of you. Say amen, somebody. Mm -mm -mm. Let me show you something else about praise. Satan fears praise more than he does prayers. And I really examined that before I threw it up on the screen because I know that sounds like everything, a blanket statement. And I think I have enough evidence to be able to say that. That Satan fears praise more than he does our prayers. I'll show you in the scripture. Prayer is mentioned 104 times in four verses in the scripture. Five sections. But then praise is mentioned 214 verses and seven sections of scripture. And what I've come to find out about why Satan fears praise more than he does our prayers. Is the propensity of how our prayers can change sometimes. And it ends up. Instead of being petition, it starts being blame and accusation. How many know you can get into that? I, sometimes, if I'm not guarding my prayers and my speech when I pray, I, I, I get more depressed. Because Satan comes in there and says to me, but didn't God promise so and so and he didn't do it? Then God give, say he would do that, quote, then God say, and, and when I get into my prayers sometimes, it changes from petition to complaining and comparisons and blaming God, and my spirit gets worse. And the devil loves for you, he, he, the devil lives in complaining, grumbling, griping, and finding fault. God lives in praises, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Can, can I get an amen here? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is, is that Satan fears praising God because it gives God credit and it, re, it gives God glory and it reminds us of who God is and, and it takes our mind off of, of the agony and the pain and the suffering and our limitations instead of, of when we feel so pathetic and we feel so gloomy, even our prayers are not a weapon. Can I get an amen, somebody? 
And, and so what I'm trying to say to you is, we've got to find ways to turn around our prayers after we have prayed. And then say, now God, I've left it with you. I'm just going to praise you by faith. Just like if it's already done. I want to show you something very briefly. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we'll go there in just a minute. You can go there now if you want to, but it'll be on the screen. L- listen to this. The people of God had not long moved into the promised land because God gave it to them. They were at that time under the rule of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Okay? They had come into the promised land and not long being there, settling their family, cultivating the soil, etc., building their homes. A confederate of nations came against them. They were the, they were the Edomites, Moabites, and a, a few of the others, uh, other ites, including the termites. They're always there. And so, there is this, this, this large number of people, multiple nations, that comes against the people of God who are not experienced in war. They just came out of the desert 40 years. They don't have, gun, well, let's just say the technology and the, the uh, industry of that day. They didn't have swords. They didn't have weapons of... Uh, uh, of the day as far as military weapons. And so what you have is, they are outnumbered. The enemy is so vast, the comparison was made as numerous as the sands of the sea. And what you have is Jehoshaphat and the tribe of Judah, and they're outnumbered, maybe, could be ten to one. And the people of God declares a fast under the leadership of the king, and they said, oh God, what are we going to do? Fear rises up. I mean, God, we came into the land, we didn't, we didn't take their water because sometimes we asked for water, but they won't let our animals drink the water of us. We kept coming. We didn't take their vegetation, we didn't take their homes, except where you gave us the victory. And we came and we settled where you put us, and look how they're rewarding us to come after and take everything you give us and kill us. Kill us and take our livestock and take everything we have. What are we going to do, God? You know, the best thing to do when you come up against a storm and difficulties, you need to do what Je- Judah and Jehoshaphat did. I need to do it. We need to set aside a time, cancel the phone calls, cancel the emails, cancel the television, and say, I am going to the place of prayer, and I'm going to place a praise, and I'm not leaving there until I pray through, until God assures me that everything's going to be okay. That's what Israel did. And God assured them by speaking to one of the prophets and telling them, this is what you're going to do. You don't have... Weapons, you don't have any kind of implements of war to beat these multitudes of people, but I'm going to give you a weapon. Here it is. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 20. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat's the king. This is what God says for us to do. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe as prophets, and you shall prosper. But here's the weapon. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Now you've got to see this. I don't want to stay here long, but you've got to see this. You've got an outnumbered group of Israelites. They're outnumbered maybe 10 to 1. 
They are going to battle. They don't have any military command. They don't have weapons. But they're walking down into the valley of Tekoa. The other army from way up yonder is coming down in that same valley. And they're going to meet and clash. They are, they are weapons of war. They have swords. They have shield. They have chariot. They have commanders. They have uniforms. They have animals, etc. They, they got it. And here's God saying, as you walk down in that valley, don't get your eyes on them. Just let the choir go ahead of you. And let the praise team go ahead of you and let the band go ahead of you and let them just say praise the Lord for his mercy endure it forever I thought I'm thinking to myself some of the old boys might have said I'm not going to that fight all I'm going to do is praise the Lord but thank God for those who went and they walked down in the valley and all they could say say it with me praise the Lord for his mercy endure it forever two more times praise the Lord for his mercy endure it forever one more time praise the Lord for his mercy endure it forever. Somebody clap your hands. Yes. The, the more they went, the louder they got. They didn't have to do a thing. The power of the praise caused confusion to the enemy that was coming down. They started fighting each other. They started killing each other. They got confused and they destroyed themselves. And it took three days for the children of Israel to collect the spoils of war. Because it's amazing what praising God will do to your enemies. Let me show you the last verse. Now when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. Say amen, somebody. The devil fears your praises. He don't mind your complaints. Nobody knows the troubles I see. Let me add another line to that. And nobody gives a rip. <laughs> How you know? Because they used to have a country song that says, Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Well, that's an outdated song. It takes 50 cents. And by the time you call suicide hotline, they put you on hold. I'm telling you, I got this theory about committing suicide. On the lighter side now, okay? So don't... You know, I got this theory. If you, if you ain't got the guts to pull the trigger, shoot, jump off the building, take you a little iPod, play you some country music. You get some country lyrics, and then you'll jump right off that building, shoot. Now, you know I don't want nobody to kill themselves. I'm just saying, country music, sometimes the lyrics, the lyrics can just kill you. I got tears in my ears from laying on my back crying over you. She don't care. She's out with the next guy. What's wrong with you? Get up. Wash your face. Go and get a job. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, go messing. But the devil loves for you to have a pity party. You know what? I don't mean this bad at all, and I'm not necessarily talking about you. Well, maybe Darren. Uh, you know, sometimes you... Let me, let me see if I can make this generic so nobody gets labeled. Sometimes do you avoid certain people because you just ain't up for it. You ask them how they're doing and they have the nerve to tell you. <laughs> Why can't they just say, doing fine, thank you. I mean this only in a light way because if people have a need and, and, and we minister, okay? But there are times though that my history with some people is if I see them now, I'm already running late. 
and they're on aisle 12, and I need, I need something on aisle 12, but I think I'll just go back in the car and go to CVS, because I just, you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, you, you got, they got some people who, they, they, they just want to give you every detail. And there's just some days I don't need that. I need somebody to say, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I need somebody to say, Pastor, it ain't the best it's ever been, but it ain't the worst it's ever been either. I may not have a song, but I do have a praise. Amen, somebody. We are salt and we are light. It's contagious. Let me move very quickly. Praise invites the presence of God. Take your Bibles quickly, everybody. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Hurry in your Bibles. We're going to do a little Bible, uh, Bible searching. Revelation 5. Somebody say amen while you look at it and look for it. Revelation 5. The Bible says, and while you find that, I'm going to tell you what it says in Psalm 22 and 3. But you are holy, O Lord, enthroned in the praises of Israel. I have an address for our home, Valerie and I, and we live on that street. You have an address for your house. That's where you live. You dwell there. God has an address. I know he's seated on the throne, but his address is praise. Praise. He dwells in the praises of his people. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because... If you need to hurriedly get in the presence of God and get some strength, you just need to start praising Him with a song or a scripture or a meditation. If you want to fastly get in the presence of God, you're not near the church enough, you're not near your mother, your grandmother who is praying enough, you don't have cell service, but you need to get a boost, an encouragement. You need to find God. Just begin to praise Him. Are you at Revelations 5? Look at verse 11. Oh, I know God lives in praise. 5.11 revelations. Then I looked and behold, I, I, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Look at this verse 12. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea. And all of them that are in it, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb unto the Lamb forever and ever. Verse 14. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. That's going on right now. Praising God twenty. Four hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There is a choir. There are myriads of thousands, times ten thousands and thousands. God lives in an atmosphere of praise. And if you want to get the presence of God, join the choir and say glory and honor and power and majesty be unto your name. Give him some praise there, somebody. Come on, help me praise the Lord. Hurry, I want to show you where God lives. Go to Psalm. Go to Psalm 100. Everybody know God's in this house. Say amen. My, my, my. Say amen, somebody. I don't know why I yell like I do, but thank God it keeps you awake. It keeps... 
Psalm 100. You already know this, but I'm, I'm going to make the devil mad. Sometimes I preach not because of you. I preach because I'm going to buy this CD myself. I like it so well. <laughs> Psalm 100. If you dare, say amen. Listen if you're not. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. Everybody say, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people. Look at me, look at, look at me. I, I may belong to Valerie and I thank God for it. I may belong to my dad. My mom is gone. I may belong to my children. But the Bible says, I am His. I belong to Him. And He delights to give me good gifts. Look, I gotta, I gotta quit yelling. Verse number four. It says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Uh, you can't, you can't out praise. You can't never get caught up with praise. And you're not supposed to. You're just supposed to enjoy it. Go to 150. Go to 150. I'm giving you an early thanksgiving sermon. 150. Hurry to Psalm 150. I know you already know this, but make the devil mad. Tell, tell him again. This is what the Bible says about where God lives and how we ought to live. Psalm 150 there, say amen. It says, praise the Lord. Look at me. Proverbs, I mean, Hebrews 13 says, offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks. Well, I praise him like this, meditatively. And there are times you do that. But pastor, don't think ill of me because I'm still but deep. And so is the graveyard. <laughs> Just thought I'd talk that in. Every once in a while, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. When you go to the ball game, you're yelling. When you go to the show and you lack something, you're clapping. You let the fruit of your lips and the demonstration of your flesh and your hands know. Right on, man. Yeah. Every once in a while, you got to make the devil mad. And scare him away. <laughs> How you, you scare him by the fruit of your lips. You open up your mouth and you say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Fruit of your lips means you let your lip. Do. We give the fruit of our lips to a lot. We give a lot of lip to a lot of things. Oh, here I go. <laughs> Yeah, I told somebody, don't give me no lip. God's saying, give me the fruit of your lips, which is praise and thanksgiving. You know what I found out about life? Come to music, bro. Is whatever you're full of, that's what's going to come out. You ever had anybody say you're full of it? Don't tell me what it, it meant. Huh? You're full of it. <laughs> whatever, whatever you're full of, full of anger, it's going to come up. Full of bitterness is going to come up. Full of grumbling is going to... Full of criticism. Some people, their only language. Some people need a brand new language. All they can do is complain, fuss, compare. My Lord, help us. I'm trying to think here. Look at verse 1. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in His sanctuary. Praise God in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. I don't know what to praise about. Don't tell me you don't know what to praise about. How I should praise Him. Verse 3. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. When, when, when our girls were home and they were younger, I, I don't have a clue about dance. I've never been to a dance. I've never had dance lessons. 
I grew up in the old time, you know, holiness movement where if you went to a dance, you're going to hell. So I, I never took lessons. Don't know. Man, I got two left feet when it comes to dancing. <laughs> but when I, whoop, glory come. When the girls were younger in the house, I'd grab Kimberly and we'd do a little twirl and a little drop. And a little, I'd grab Valerie now when she don't slap me for surprising her. And she don't slap me at all. Every one of you got to dance. I'm t- you all got, some of you dance more privately. <laughs> come on, say amen here, somebody. You've got to know dancing you. You need this sermon. Praise Him with the dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and flute. Praise Him with the loud cymbals. Praise Him with the clashing cymbals. If you are everything, say amen. If you are among and everything, say amen. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise you, 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 everything. Praise the Lord. Stand up and do it right now. Everybody, stand up to your feet. Lay down your Bibles and give the Lord some shout, some praises. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, make the devil mad. Yeah. Don't leave unless you have to go to work. Oh, you got an emergency because you would have missed the whole sermon. You'd have wasted your time if you don't practice your praise. I'm not going to make a blittering idiot out of you. But I'm going to ask you to leave your comfort zone in a minute and just praise God. You see, because praise involves praising God when you don't feel like it. Give me another amen. A lot of scriptures there, but I'll give you this, these two. Giving thanks sometimes. Huh? Huh? Ain't what it says. Giving thanks always for all things. Praise Him in the good times. Praise Him in the bad times. First Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always. And again I say, Rejoice. Let, let me show you something else. First Thessalonians 5 18. I'm wilder than I was the first time. In everything give thanks. Everything give thanks. And ladies, sir. If you got more month and you got money, go home today, take out your bills, put them on the table. And say, God, I'm a tither, I'm a giver. And I'm putting my hands on these bills, and I'm praising you anyhow. You got a rebellious son or daughter, and if they, if they don't like your worship, then you don't have to cast your pearls in their presence. Just go in their bedroom when they're not there. Praise God in their bedroom. That the power of rebellion and the power of demons and the wrong company they're with. Praise Him. Praise Him over. If you got a sickness in your body, He knows you're sick. Just begin to praise Him now. By my stripes, Jesus said, His stripes, I'm healed. Give me an amen. If you need a job, you have 10 applications out of 100. Go back to the internet. Find the latest one you put out. Put your hand on it and say, God, I praise you. You know where I need to work. You know who I need to work with. I don't just need the money. I need a mission field where I work. I'm going to praise you. Can I get an amen? Continually. I got to tell you this and I'm going to let you come. I was in a board meeting this week in Cleveland, Tennessee at the board of directors for the Church of God, which is called the Pentecostal Theological Seminary. What an honor it is to be on the board of directors. I'm a graduate of that school. One of the presenters at the board meeting was a gentleman by the name of Donnie Smith, Reverend Donnie Smith. He used to pastor in the Atlanta area, and now he's in charge of the benevolence ministries for the Church of God around the world. 
And he came to our board meeting giving expressions of thanks for the way the seminary has partnered with his particular ministry. But before he left, he said, I want to say this to you, all you brothers. He said, I got to give the Lord thanks for healing my wife this summer. And then he told us the story. I'm just going to encapsulate it because it's going to build your faith. How many know the Bible says, by the words of our testimonies, we are overcomers? Faith cometh by hearing. When I hear what God's done for Pastor Jeff, it lets me know he'll do it for Pastor Alan. When I hear what God does for Donnell, it makes me know he'll do it for me. When I hear what God does for, for Will, for Randy. I'm telling you, when I hear your testimony, I have a righteous jealousy. A righteous jealousy, meaning you won't leave me out. Donnie says, Reverend Donnie Smith, his wife became a victim as strokes occur. They don't announce their arrival beforehand. They announce it with a great impact when they're there. His wife suffered a major stroke in August. Her face was distorted. And one side of her body, I believe he said the right side of her body, was paralyzed. You've seen stroke victims, many of us. No use of the arms. The arm is there, but you can't even move it. The brain won't even let it. The legs there, but can't move it. Numbness, a whole half of the body, because of the nature of the stroke. Donnie Smith says to us in his testimony, it was particularly alarming, not just the stroke and the symptoms, but that this kind of stroke has been prevalent in his wife's family with other family members prior to her. An aunt had died two years ago, didn't survive the stroke. Another relative was now confined to around-the-clock care, a feeding tube in the stomach, and etc. because no use, no physical... So there's some who suffer such strokes until they can't even build up the capacity to swallow. And he said, I've never seen so many tears in my life. And he said, it wasn't the tears of my wife or my family, it was my tears. I started crying over my wife, my beloved wife, and he said, the number of years. And I wonder, what am I going to do, God? What is she going to do? How are we going to make it? And he said, you know, the first thing the devil, and for about a day or so, you, or even longer, you can be knocked so hard, not necessarily physically, but emotionally. Somebody got to come and shake you and wake you up. Can I get an Amen. He said, he said, his son, who is now a minister, he said, I've always been my son's pastor, but on that day, my, pastor, my son became my pastor. And he spoke into my life and reawakened me to the promises of God. He said, went to the hospital, and my, my wife, the nurses were there and all, and she was immobile on that side. But she was able to vocalize her desire for them to pray. And she, he said, they started praying. Because God was going to heal her. He's, she's claiming her healing. She took her good hand, non-stroke hand, lifted up her stroke hand. And those of you who are in medical care, you know what I'm talking about. It's an effort. Lift up the hand. Both, and just started praising God while tears running down her face, laying on the bed, still paralyzed. He said the next day, the nurses came, about eight of them came. They were getting ready now to do a different kind of therapy and moving her to a progression of what would be later on, whatever it takes for her to get mobile. She said, I want to get out of bed. They said, we, we can't take you out of bed here yet. You, you've not been, you've not been uh, exercising and you've not, you don't know how to walk. I want to get out of bed. So they honored her request. She got out, maybe held to the side, and she took the good leg and started stomping the bad leg with no life in it. And they thought, what is she doing? And she lost her mind. And her husband got the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because he knows her better than anybody else in the room. He said, she is refusing to be paralyzed. 
She is beating life back into that leg. She is determined. And when he said that, the place lit up. All the nurses, he said, were crying. I'm going to make the story short. That woman today has no distorted face, no limited hand. He says you can't even tell she's had a stroke. Because the power of praising God will bring us life in every way. There may be death. Somebody help me praise Him. Come on and praise Him. Sing it, brother. Sing that. He bless.